Welcome to Tackling the NFL. I'm Josh Rosenberg. I'm here with my co-host, Adam Baltax. Adam, how's it going? Pretty good. You can actually call me Mr. Unlimited because that's my alter ego. You are killing me. You are killing me. <laughs> I watched half of that video and it was so cringy I couldn't get through the rest of it. Russell yeah. Wilson is something. Yeah. And, hey, it doesn't matter what you do off the field. I mean, I guess to a certain extent it does. But as long as you're, you're Russell Wilson on the field, I don't care. Yeah, I was going to say, the data energy emanating from Russell Wilson is powerful. <laughs> it is powerful. How's your week been, Adam? Pretty good. I've been watching a lot of hockey. How about you? Watching no hockey, a lot of baseball, a lot of basketball. It's very nice to have sports back. Yeah. Uh, I, I needed this. So this week, basically, the only NFL news that we've had has been, well, it's been a pretty quiet week. Uh, the only thing that happened was that the uh, Washington football team cut Darius Geis after he was arrested for uh, domestic violence. All I can say is that I hope that the victim's okay and that everybody's safe. I think that it, it's just a it's just a bad situation. I I have trouble giving the Washington football team too much credit for changing the culture or whatever for this uh, situation, but they did do the right thing in this instance and hopefully it'll carry forward. Yeah. And I was going to, I was going to speak on that though. The Washington football team have been all over the headlines this off season with some serious allegations. So this is the last thing they need on their plate right now. So I think getting rid of him was the, was the best immediate action. Yep. Anyways, let's just keep moving forward. This week, we are doing the NFC South. And because we didn't think that there was anything else in football that we really needed to talk about, we're just going to get right into it. This division has Adam's favorite team, the Atlanta Falcons. So why don't we just start right there? Adam, what do I need to know about the Falcons this season? Well, yeah. So the Falcons, they've been a pretty easily understood team the past couple of years. They're good on offense, not very good on defense. Uh, last year, they ranked top eight in offensive yards. But their their real struggles come on defense. The defense finished 23rd in points allowed. Over the last 30 seasons, the Falcons have only had a top 10 defense twice. So their defense really needs to step up next year if they want to make a push for the playoffs. Their defense is really brutal. I was looking, I was just looking into it. There are not many impressive players on it. I feel bad for Grady Jarrett, their defensive tackle. He's really the only like good, consistently good player on yeah. that team, much less that line. Uh, he had 7.5 sacks last season, and he basically got no help from anybody else. Tack McKinley, their first-round pick from a couple years back, had his worst uh, year last season. He had only 3.5 sacks, and they declined his fifth-year option as a result. They did bring in Dante Fowler Jr. from the Rams, which, you know what, anything helps. They might have paid him a little bit too much, but anything helps. Last season, he had 11.5 sacks, but only on 14 knockdowns. So you can expect some regression there. He did have 35 pressures. So he had a pretty nice season. But he was also playing uh, with Aaron Donald on his line. And Grady Jarrett's fantastic. He's not quite Aaron Donald. He won't get a double team on every play. So we'll see how that affects Fowler. Yeah, and, and Jarrett definitely will take away a lot of the attention. And he got double teamed quite a bit last year. But he, I don't think it's possible for him to keep the, up that production. I'm talking about Dante Fowler. Only 50, he, he set 58 tackles, which is his career high. And he had six defended passes, which is more than he ever had before. But I don't know if he'll be able to, to keep up with that, with that level. He was obviously a first round pick in 2016. He, he was the number three overall pick by the Jacksonville Jaguars. Yeah. And speaking of first round picks, this Falcons offense 
every starter, assuming that they start James Carpenter at left guard and Laquan Treadwell as the third wide receiver, every starter on their Falcons offense will be a first-round pick. That's the first time ever. I knew you were going to make that segue. Honestly, I don't find it impressive at all because what that tells you is that a bunch of those guys didn't work out in their previous situations, which means that they ended up back on the they ended up on the Falcons, like Hayden Hurst, Todd Gurley. I mean, it, it is cool. I mean, it, it shows that all those guys were highly regarded coming into the league, and I think their offense will be fine. But as we know, the problem will be with the defense. Uh, last year, their offense was 15th overall, 12th in passing, 22nd in rushing, and I really never thought I would say this about a team, but I actually think they need to run the ball more. Last season's running backs were Devonta Freeman and Ito Smith, so like it's fair that Dirk Cotter didn't want to run the ball. But last season they had six; they threw the ball 684 times, which is by far the most in the NFL. But they were 29th in rushing attempts. I think I really think they need to try to balance out at least a little bit that uh, offensive attack. Right, and I I totally agree. They 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 threw the ball so many times where they shouldn't have. So many second and sevens where they could have easily picked up three or four yards and get an easier third down. They threw it up to Calvin or Julio. Not saying that that's a bad decision, and obviously you want to balance it out, having the best wide receiver on your team, the best wide receiver in the league on your team. But you got to give Gurley the ball because you we, we've seen in the past what Gurley can do with it. So for Todd Gurley to provide a valuable return this season, I think he's really going to need to start catching passes again. I think that's where he'll provide the most value to this team. Last season, he caught nearly half as many passes as he did the year prior, and he played one more game than he did in 2018. So, it, he, I mean, like, partially, partially, I think that has to be has to do with his injury. I mean, he has an arthritic knee, and I think he dealt with other stuff last season. But his yards per attempt also fell from 4.9 yards in 2018 to 3.8. I really hope this isn't a permanent decline because Todd Gurley is one of the more fun running backs in the NFL when he's right. And so I really do hope that he'll be healthy this season. Yeah, and the Falcons' run blocking did get a little bit better this year as Hayden Hurst is, can actually block, unlike Cooper which is why I wasn't actually that upset about the Hooper's departure because I, he wasn't that great of a run blocker, and we really need that as on the Falcons. We just got to run the ball. I agree with you, and I think if Gurley can stay healthy, he can have another huge year. Freeman wasn't doing it for us. We gave him two more tries, couldn't stay healthy. When he was in, he wasn't that productive. So I'm, I'm hopeful for this offense. Yeah, you mentioned uh, Austin Hooper and Hayden Hurst. I think that you can expect a lot from Hayden Hurst this season. Not anything to do with him. I think he's a pretty decent player. He's pretty old. He's like 28 years old, even though it's only his third year in the league because he played like MLB baseball, like minor league baseball for a couple seasons before going back to college and then playing at, I think, South Carolina. But the reason that I'm hopeful for Hayden Hurst is because Dirk Cotter's history, the Falcons offensive coordinator with tight ends. So uh, going back three years, in 2017, when he was still with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, Cameron Brate had 48 catches, 591 yards, and six touchdowns, while O.J. Howard, who was a rookie that season, had 26 catches, 432 yards, and six touchdowns. Then in 2018, still with the uh, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, O.J. Howard had 34 catches for 565 yards and five touchdowns, while Cameron Brate had 30 catches for 289 yards and six touchdowns. Then Dirk Carter came over to the Falcons last season, and Austin Hooper had by far his best season. He had 75 catches for 787 yards and six touchdowns. So I think that you can pretty easily lock in Hayden Hurst for like at least around 60 catches and 700 yards and maybe five touchdowns if he stays healthy because his only competition is like Jaden Graham and I don't think that he's going to be taking away too many touches from him. And when you look at the rest of the offense, who's going to be taking away other the, the rest of the touches? You look at 
Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley. There's there's going to be so many opportunities for Hayden Hurst in the goal in the in the red zone. So I expect him to get a couple a couple more touchdowns than he's used to. And you know how how Dirk Cutter does not like giving Julio the ball in the red zone. So look for Hayden Hurst for as a sleeper in fantasy. Yeah, I don't even think that's necessarily Dirk Cotter not giving Julio the ball in the red zone. I think it's just a weird quirk throughout Julio's career. He just hasn't caught that many touchdowns. No, I, you, you can see in a lot of uh, watching a bunch of Falcons games, you can see how Dirk likes to put Julio on out routes away from the rest of the field and open up room for guys like Calvin Ridley and Austin Hooper. He does that a lot. He puts Julio with two guys on him, obviously, towards the, towards the edge of the playing field to keep them away from the center of the field. Because the Falcons' offense loves scoring in the middle of the field, so see a, see a lot of you, you'll see a lot of production in Hayden Hurst. That's fair, but at the same time, so I'm just looking at Julio's touchdown numbers for the past couple seasons. Last year was his first season with Dirk Cotter. He had six touchdowns. The year before, he had eight touchdowns. The year before that, he had three. The year before that, six, and the year before that, eight. So I feel like somewhere between like like five to nine is a pretty comfortable range yeah. for him. And so, yeah. so, so who do you think is the best wide receiver in the league? Oof. Um, I don't know if best is the, I feel like it, Julio Jones is definitely the most talented wide receiver in the league. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's fair. I don't necessarily know if he's the best. He's also like over 30 now. So who knows if he'll start slowing down, but he's absolutely fantastic. I don't want to take anything away from him. Yeah. And I, I, I agree. Obviously um, I'm a big fan of Julio. I think that Michael Thomas, Mr. Slants, is not quite as talented as Julio, but he's still a very good option. And that's what I think a lot of people who are having this argument on social media are, are confusing. People are, are treating it like it's one is good and one is not, but really they're both incredible. I just think Julio is a little bit more talented. Yeah, and I think that like DeAndre Hopkins is right into that mix with those guys. Right, He's right. just on a different team, so he won't be as productive this year. Yeah. Before we finish up with the Falcons, I just want to go back to that defense really quickly. Last season, they were 25th in DVOA and 25th against the pass, 14th against the run, so slightly better against the run. What I did notice look, going into the stats that they had the most penalties in the NFL on defense, 127 of them, and they just weren't getting to the, pressure, to the quarterback at all. They were 30th in quarterback knockdown percentage. They were 31st in sacks, 30th in pressure percentage. So they just they just weren't getting there. How much of a difference do you think Dante Fowler is really going to make? Well, so I like Fowler. Um, he has that connection with Dan Quinn from their days at University of Florida. I just, I, I also so so their defensive line actually did get quite a bit better when with their draft of Marlon Davidson as well. He's six three, three hundred pounds. I think Hull also. Him and Dante Fowler will really help with the run. Tyler Davidson is one of the best run stoppers in the in the NFC South, and he gets overlooked. He's just not very good at anything else. I'm worried about getting to the quarterback next year, but I like Davidson. I like Fowler. I like Jarrett. It's really how how the rest of the that line comes comes together. Yeah, I really like Davidson. He was on the same line as uh, Derek Brown, who we'll talk about later, and so he was sort of overlooked, but he was fantastic. One other thing that concerns me about this defense is their first-round pick. So the thing is that I think that, personally, the way that you waste a pick in the NFL isn't by picking a bad player. Because the thing is that for all first-round picks, just overall, taken over the years, there's a 50-50 chance that any one of them busts. It's very hard to decide who's a good player and who's not. The way that you waste a pick and that you know that you're wasting a pick at the time of the pick 
is one, if you draft a player at a non-premium position. So for example, off-ball linebacker. You saw that with Jordan Brooks and the Seahawks this season or yep. this offseason. Secondly, drafting a player well above their projected draft slot. Like Jordan Brooks and the Seattle Seahawks. <laughs> I'm very, I do not like that Jordan Brooks pick. Either way, what you saw was that the Falcons drafted AJ Terrell 16th overall, which is well above anybody where anybody expected him to be drafted. So I feel like they should have at least tried to trade back because they wanted to trade up for Chase Young. Uh, the Washington football team wasn't willing to trade away that pick, which, you know, that's reasonable. Yeah. But then, then they stayed put and they drafted Terrell and they probably could have traded back and still gotten Terrell. I, yeah. I'm pretty concerned about that, uh, like that draft process. I agree. I, I hated the Terrell pick at the time. I'm a little bit better about it now, but I'm still a little, I'm still a little upset about it. Look, I, I like AJ Terrell. He's not a bad player. To be drafted that early though is a is a big stretch. And I and I know the Falcons were looking to trade back. I've seen in interviews after the draft that that's what they were going for. It didn't seem like a lot of teams were biting. But I mean, he's not terrible. <laughs> he's still a first round cal- caliber player. I think he, they could have gotten him later. But hey, he'll he'll fill that void that that losing Desmond Trufant left us with. He's fast. He had a 4.4 240-yard dash. He's strong. He had 15 reps at the bench press. I don't know. I think that he'll be good in the first 10 yards past the line of scrimmage, but after that, I'm worried. Yeah, I really – I had like a second-round grade on him at best. I just watched him get burned way too many times by LSU's wide receivers in that championship game, and LSU has a fantastic set of wide receivers. I just – I don't know. I didn't see it. Speaking of Terrell – I think that we should talk about that secondary briefly because I, I think that that's really like beyond even just the defensive line. I think that that might even be the biggest problem with this defense, especially after they added Fowler. Yeah. Besides the offensive line, I think the secondary is the worst part of this team. Uh, I'm not looking forward to coming up against these other powerhouses in this division, like the Buccaneers and the, Oh my God, I'm thinking about it now. It's going to be mayhem. Chris Godwin's going to be open every play. Yeah. I mean, Isaiah Oliver is projected to start across from AJ Terrell. So those two are protecting the starting quarterback. They're both terrible. Oliver is terrible and Terrell hasn't started a game in the NFL. So uh, yeah, I, I I would be very scared if I were a Falcons fan. I love our safeties. Don't get me wrong, but <laughs> that is, it is not looking too good at cornerback for us. We, we yeah. got AJ Terrell. Oh my God. Kendall Sheffield. Uh, it's looking bad. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's not a good, it's not a good sign. I think that, this Falcons team is probably going to put up a lot of points, but I don't see them stopping anyone. Yeah, and and just to throw in one last thing about their offensive line, I think this Falcons has a this Falcons offensive line has a lot of room to improve. If James Carpenter, Chris Lindstrom, and Caleb McGarry can stay healthy, it could be in the top top half of the offensive lines in this league. But they're all injury prone, and we lost Wes Schwitzer. Who knows? It's it's really fifty fifty with this with this line. Yeah, I think this is a top five offense. If uh, Chris, if their two first round picks from last season, Chris Lindstrom and Caleb McGarry, are like at least league average or maybe a little bit better. If they're not, this offense could be just like pretty much right around where it was last season, which was middle of the pack. And this team is even worse than it was last season. Yeah. Before we move on from the Falcons, because I think that's just about it, we haven't mentioned the GOAT, the best player on their team, Young Hoku. Yeah, I was waiting for you to, to, to bring him up. <laughs> yeah, so Young Hoku is an absolute legend. One, one of the few Korean Americans in the NFL, so let's go. Two, he had three successful onside kicks in a single game. 
One of them was called back due to a penalty, but on Thanksgiving last season against the New Orleans Saints rivalry game, he completed three successful onside kicks to pull them back into the game, and they they lost because the offense didn't get it done. But just an absolute legend. Just yeah, absolute I, I, legend. I think that game really sealed his spot. I think we we should give a little bit of credit to Foyasad Aluokon because he had to go out there and recover all three kicks, but. Young Young Hoku out of Georgia Southern is the future kicker. He he he's gonna replace Matt Bryant as the highest point scorer in Falcons history. That's my prediction. Speaking of teams with great kickers, let's move on to the New Orleans Saints. So I had Will Lutz in fantasy last season, and he was ridiculously good. That entire team, like I, I'm talking about the kicker right now, but that entire team, just from top to bottom, at pretty much every single position is stacked. There yeah. aren't any holes. Yeah, uh, the Saints are obviously, arguably the best team in the entirety of the NFC. I only say the NFC and not the NFL because the, the Chiefs are in the AFC, and I, I don't think they stack up quite that much. But this is a full and deep team. I'm not looking forward to playing them twice this year. Yeah, I honestly don't even know where to start. So I'm just going to start with Drew Brees because, you know, he's been there for a million seasons. This is it for him. Uh, this is his last ride. So if nothing else, we, I hope you do get to see him for one more season. But I do have some questions about him. So the thing is, is that last season, he had the fourth worst average intended air yards uh, in the NFL, which is essentially how far they threw the ball in the air on all of his throws. Interestingly, Teddy Bridgewater had the lowest uh, average intended air yards, <laughs> which I think reflects on the Saints offense that they were using, but also Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Brees's, you know, strengths and so we'll see this with the Panthers but of course he's one of the most accurate he is the most accurate quarterback in league history he led the league in completion percentage for the third year in a row but I I honestly wonder is he the best quarterback on his team (laughs) this is a crazy question but the thing is that I feel like if you put Jameis Winston in a system with Sean Payton he could cook I'd like I don't know I'd like I'd like to see it and the thing is is that the best case scenario for the Saints happened last season where Breeze got hurt for like five games. It wasn't anything serious that would affect him for the rest of the season, but he was hurt for five games. So he got to rest and recover and then be healthy for the playoffs and like at full strength. So I think that like they might be hoping that Jameis gets to start a couple games because they don't necessarily want him starting all 16 games because his body can't take that at this point in his career. Yeah, I, I just want to answer that question really quick. Yes, uh, he is the best quarterback on this team. I, I love Jamie Swinston. Uh, Drew Brees is a better quarterback. Who's better at fantasy is a different question because we we all know how much Jamie Swinston likes to throw the ball. Um, Five thousand one hundred passing yards last year, thirty three touchdowns. There's no other important stats to look at. He's just that talented. Oh wait, he had thirty interceptions. That's the seventh highest all time. So, Jamie okay. Swinston just closes his eyes and throws the ball in the air. I think going behind. He didn't do that once. I'm. I think going behind Drew Brees will be extremely helpful for him, but I he's nowhere near the the level of talent that Drew Brees has. Okay, I can't find the stats that I had on Jameis, but the thing is that he did have 30 interceptions last year. But he also, yeah, he had 30 interceptions last season. But his previous most in his career was 18. I, I don't think he's gonna be throwing 30 interceptions <laughs> again. Anyways, that was that was mostly a hypothetical question. He is fantastic. I, I do wonder how much of how good Drew Brees is, is uh, because of his offensive line and his coaching, which are both some of the best in the league. Uh, his offensive line, I would argue, is the second best unit in the NFL or even yep. the best, depending on how you rate them versus the Colts. Uh, the main reason I have them as second best instead of the best is because 
there's sort of uncertainty at both guard positions. But last season, they had the best adjusted line yards uh, at 4.92 yards per carry, which is essentially a stat by football outsiders that determines how much responsibility the offensive line should get for uh, running back success. And so their strength is is at the tackles because I think they have some, the best tackle pairing in the league. I'd say that's about right. Uh, um, the Colts the Colts stack up with them, but I I not agree. not quite not quite not because the Colts are very good. But Ryan Ramchick was the highest graded tackle in the NFL last season according to yeah, PFF. Toron, he didn't get Armstead's pretty good too. Yep, they were both in the top ten according to PFF. Ramchick didn't even give up a sack during the regular season. And then meanwhile, they drafted Eric McCoy in the second round in 20 last season. And he was the fourth <laughs> best. I, I couldn't do the math. And then he was the fourth best center in the league as a rookie. So those spots are just locked up. And he'll probably even get better this season. I am concerned about guard. They drafted yeah. Cesar. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So I was about to say that I like the, the, the pick of Cesar Ruiz. I think he has a lot of, a lot of upside. He's really good at run blocking. My bigger question is about Andrews Pete, the left guard, because he hasn't really developed into the player that New Orleans thought he would be after he was drafted at, in the first round of 2015. He he hasn't really he hasn't really excelled in any stats in the past. How many seasons has he played? Five now, four, four, four or five, I think. Yeah, yeah. He, he missed six games last year. I, I I like the rest of the line. I'm not too sure about Pete. Yeah, you're stealing my talking points. Ruiz, uh, the best, I think the description I saw most for him was bowling ball, which is great. He was the highest ranked interior lineman in the draft. And I think it, it's just a question of, you know, he's going from college to the NFL. And that's, you know, always a question mark. We don't know that much. I am concerned about Pete as well. He was just bad last season and he got a $57 million contract. I, and I don't understand that at all because they had Larry Warford, who they cut this offseason to keep Andrews Pete. And last season, according to PFF, Warford was the eighth best guard in the league, while Pete was the 72nd best. Yeah. It's not even that much about age, because Pete is 26 years old, while Warford is 29. I, I don't understand. Well, I, I, do think, I do think the rationale was about age, though, because for offensive linemen, 29 is, is like, it's past your prime, and Pete definitely has a lot of room to improve. I don't disagree with that, although I'd say 29 is right around in your prime. But the thing is that they're not really looking necessarily long-term because all their moves have been win now, which makes a ton of sense because yeah. they have a Hall of Fame quarterback on the last year of his career. So I don't understand that. The rest of their moves have been pretty great. Let's just let's just keep going down the offense, and then we'll get to the defense in a little bit. So okay. you talked about you talked about Michael Thomas with the Falcons. I, yeah, I, I I don't know where I fall on the is Michael Thomas elite debate. I think it's a little bit crazy to say that a guy who had 149 catches, setting the NFL record for catches in a season and 1,725 yards last season. Yeah. is an elite. He is. He is elite. So yeah, I will firmly say that. I don't necessarily think he's the best wide receiver in the NFL. But his best, his biggest strength is that he just has glue sticks for hands. Yeah. Well, what, was his, what was his catch rate last year? 80.5? Yeah, his catch percentage was 80.5. He dropped oh six God. balls on 185 targets. I mean, it was crazy. He's not, like, extremely athletic. He's not extremely fast like Julio is. He's not an amazing separator, but he catches everything that's thrown to him. And last season, he had the most red zone targets in the league. He had 26, which I didn't actually realize. I didn't think that he'd gotten the ball that much in the red zone. Well, it's He's, just the Saints are always in the red zone. So yeah. <laughs> they got a lot of shares to go around. And the thing is that who else were they going to throw to? Because last season, they just like their number two wide receiver was theoretically Traquan Smith. And Traquan Smith had a really bad season. So they signed Emmanuel Sanders over the offseason. And I don't know how much, like how many, how great his stats will be that he's going to put up. 
over the course of the full season. But I think he's going to do a great job of drawing pressure away from Michael Thomas and even catching some balls on third down because he really excels on third down. And it's just going to make it harder for defenses to key in solely on Michael Thomas. And I think it'll open up that offense for everyone. Yeah, I think I think this offense is is very scary. I think that this team could have easily made a push for the Super Bowl the past couple seasons, if not for some unfortunate events. You got the Minneapolis miracle. You got that Nikel Roby Coleman hit. The Saints don't don't have the best fortune in the playoffs, but this this offense is really scary heading into next year. Yep. Last thing I want to talk about for the offense is what's going to happen at running back because Alvin Kamara is in his contract year. He's in the last year of his. Uh, contract. So last season, he was hurt for a couple weeks. He missed a couple weeks, but at the same time, he was clearly hampered by his injury for the weeks prior and a couple weeks after his injury. So it's sort of hard to tell how good, like how much that affected him. But what I was surprised by was when I looked at his underlying stats, they weren't actually all that bad for last season, which really gives me a lot of hope for this season. His broken tackles, his yards per attempt, his yard after contact were all extremely similar to uh, 2018, the year prior. The only thing that really changed was the number of touchdowns that he had. He had 14 in 2018, only five in 2019. So I, I think that I think that he's all right. I'm not all that concerned. The one thing that I did notice was that he's had 81 per- receptions per year in all three years, which is pretty interesting. There's a baseball player named Chris Davis who's bat- who batted 247 for, I think, three or yeah. four years in a row, which it, it, that's actually harder to do in baseball. That's, than that's much, much, much harder. The the yes. odds of that are ridiculous. The odds are infinitesimal, but th- I was thinking about that. But what did change was that in 2017, in his rookie season, I think, he had 10.2 yards per reception. Then in 2018, he had 8.8 yards per reception. And last season, he had 6.6 yards per reception uh, each time on 81 receptions. So I think that that's partially impacted on how much he's used, but that's something to keep an eye on. Yeah, I think I just think that the Saints offense is very solid. I don't I think their defense is too. Like they <laughs> they moved on from Von Bell, Eli Apple, but really they didn't lose anyone too big. Like sure Bell played well versus the run, but they they picked up uh Zach Bond on defense. They picked up who else did they get? At the end of last season they got Janoris Jenkins, which helped because Eli Apple had been inconsistent. I think this defense might have actually gotten better this past off season. I know it's scary to think about, but so I, I can't see any holes. I don't see any. No, that's the thing. So last season they were 11th in defensive DVOA, 13 against the pass, fifth against the run. They had 51 sacks, which is the third most in the league. They got pressure on 26% of dropbacks, which is the fifth best in the NFL, and they had the third least penal, uh, penalized defense in the NFL. So basically, they just didn't make mistakes, and I see room for improvement, which is crazy. The easiest way to look for that is in Marcus Davenport, who was their first-round pick two seasons ago, who they traded a first-round pick. They traded two first-round picks to get him, essentially, because they moved up in the first round. And I'm actually pretty bullish on him. He created a pressure on 10.6% of his snaps last season, according to Chris Trapasso from CBS, which was actually twice as good as TJ Watt in 2018, which was the year before TJ Watt's breakout. If he breaks out, he's going to draw attention away from Cam Jordan, similar to how, you know, Emmanuel Sanders will do with Michael Thomas. And that's just going to help both them because Cam Jordan was double teamed on 24% of his pass rushes, according to Seth Walder of ESPN last season, if they can relieve that pressure on him. And he still managed to put up 15.5 sacks and 49 pressures. He's just a monster. But I think that that defense could just be so much better. Yeah, we saw how Cameron Jordan kind of got a little bit neutralized last year towards the end when they started double and sometimes even triple teaming him. But 
Marcus Davenport taking any of that pressure off Cam could really see big improvements on this defensive line that's already stacked with Malcolm Brown and Sheldon Rankins. That's going to be a scary defensive line to block against. Seth Bellina from PFF found that the Saints drew pressure on 50% of their blitzes, which was the highest percentage in the league. Do you want to guess which team had the worst on drawing pressure on their blitzes? Uh, no, I don't feel like guessing, Josh. Okay, well, it was the Falcons. I uh, know, Josh. I know. Only on They got pressure on only 30% of their blitzes. Yeah. Anyways, that, yeah, that defensive line is going to be a problem for teams. And meanwhile, one of the most underrated defensive players in the NFL uh, is Demario Davis. He was the highest graded linebacker in the league last season, according to PFF. He was ridiculously good in coverage. He was targeted 72 times and only allowed 6.4 yards per completion. I want to give him his due. He was, he was a first-team All-Pro, but he isn't really known outside of, like, league circles. I, I just think that he's ridiculously good. Yeah, Demario Davis has over 100 tackles in five of his eight years in the NFL while never missing a game in his career. Over the past three seasons, he's had the most success versus the run, but he also had 14 sacks. He improved a lot in 2019 and expect him to improve even more. And now he'll be lining up with Zach Bond, I assume, who will replace Alex Anzalone. Alex Anzalone, I don't know. And that, that pair of linebackers is going to be scary. Yep. And then it just gets better in the secondary because they have Marshawn Lattimore, who's a superstar, even though he didn't have a great year last season because his play was sort of poor at the beginning of the season and he just got better as it went on. Meanwhile, they managed to get even better at, during last year's draft because they drafted Chauncey Gardner-Johnson with a fourth-round pick, and he's already one of the best slot corners in the league. And as I mentioned earlier, they have Janoris Jenkins on the other side, who they got for cheap after the Giants cut him. And then their safeties are some of the best in the league. It's just, it's unfair. Uh, you mentioned the Minneapolis miracle. The guy, the unfortunate sap on the other side of that was Marcus Williams, who was a rookie at the time, but he's one of the, now he's one of the best free safeties in the NFL. He was the fourth highest graded safety by PFF. And then they signed Malcolm Jenkins in the offseason, who he's not quite the same guy who he was before, which is fine. But he's so smart and he has the veteran savvy to still be productive. Last season, he took 207 snaps at free safety and 266 at slot corner. But because the Saints have both those positions covered, I just assume he's going to get to play a lot more in the box. And I think he's going to be really good there. Yeah. So you mentioned Gardner Johnson. I, I actually see him here on the depth chart as a strong safety. Uh, so I, I think he might actually be playing safety this year. No, no, no. I, I see that on the depth chart. They don't have a nickelback listed. He's going to play. He's going to play slot corner. That's where he played okay, pretty much okay. all of last season. Just, yeah. just checking. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, this defense is top to bottom, just, you know, stacked. It's got, they've got depth. Like, they've got guys like Trey Hendrickson and Malcolm Brown, who aren't even expected to start, but were both pretty good last season. They brought in a couple of veteran linebackers to possibly fill in in case Zach Bond isn't ready to take that spot opposite to Mario Davis. Yeah, this defense, this entire team is so ridiculously good that it, it's concerning. Yeah, well, they've, they've had such a good team the past couple of years, too. It's really just how they perform in the playoffs because we know they'll get there. It's just it, – it'll, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I completely agree. I don't – yeah, I don't think there's that much that needs to be said. They've got a lot of veterans, so you don't know, like, how injuries might affect them or whether they'll slow down as the season goes on. But otherwise, I don't see many reasons for concern. All right, let's move on to the Panthers. Adam, what do you have on the Panthers? Um. So – the Panthers had a big change this offseason. After having a very underwhelming season in 2019, they hoped to, to get a new spark with, with their coaching. They turned to Matt Rule as their new head coach, 
his only experience in the NFL came for the Giants in 2012 as the assistant offensive line coach. But over the past seven seasons, Matt Rule worked as a head coach for Temple and Baylor and did pretty well for both those teams. But they also got a new offensive coordinator in Joe Brady, new defensive coordinator in Phil Snow. So they're they're really changing up this team. Yeah, Matt Rule was given a seven-year contract. And the reason that he was is because he developed a pension or a penchant uh, for program building at both Temple and Baylor. He took two schools that were super down on their luck. Baylor had had, had to fire their head coach and their athletic director, I think, before he came in because of a serious scandal. And he turned them both into serious competitors. And so my question is, I'm not entirely sure that translates to the NFL simply because he doesn't have to recruit players, you know, but he does build a good locker room. And I think that's going to be important for them. I'm also curious about what Joe Brady is going to do with this offense. I think that like, I really think the coaching might be the most interesting part about this Panther season because the players make me sad. Um, (laughs) But Joe Brady is probably going to bring some of the things that we saw from him at LSU last season, uh, more of a spread offense, more tempo. And I think he's going to get playmakers in space, which I really think is important because their offensive skill players is the one thing that this team has going for them. Yeah. And we saw Brady had a pretty big impact on the development of Joe Burrow. So it'll be interesting to see what he does with Teddy Bridgewater in the future years. Absolutely. Last week at the end of the episode, I said that I'm thinking I might be high on the Panthers. I will not be high on the Panthers after looking at this. I was, I think at the time I was mostly thinking about their offensive skill players, but the rest of this team is oh, brutal. <laughs> it, it's really, really un, uninspiring. They were 28th in offensive DVOA, 31st passing and 9th rushing last season. And they brought, so they brought in Teddy Bridgewater which here I wrote him as Drew Brees 0.5. So not 2.0, because he's not better than Drew Brees. <laughs> he's, he's half of Drew Brees. He is pretty good, though. I do like him. But his average depth of target uh, was 6.1 yards last season. So he's going to throw the ball very, very short, which is great for Christian McCaffrey, debatable on how great that is for an actual offense production. Yeah, and I hold, he has room to grow. Teddy Bridgewater is still rather young when it comes to NFL quarterbacks. He obviously has been plagued with injuries at the start of his career but um he's he's still only 27 he's got a lot of room to grow I think Joe Brady will help him this offense besides Christian McCaffrey does not look too hot so who knows why so okay so I actually really like their wide receiver room because I think I think their wide receiver room complements each other really nicely uh they're good on all three levels because they signed Robbie Anderson over the offseason for a really nice deal they got him for much cheaper than I expected I'm wondering how much of that had to do with his connection because Matt Rule was his uh, head coach when he was at Temple. Anyways, uh, Robbie Anderson is going to be great deep down the field. That's what he's always done. Curtis Samuel will be good on the short slants uh, and all those short passes. He can also go deep. And then DJ Moore is great in the intermediate area. So they really, like, they really mesh nicely together. And I'm actually excited to see what those wide receivers do with a competent quarterback. Yeah, I like their wide receivers too. They also got Farrell Cooper and Seth Roberts. And Ian Thomas can play in the wide receiver room. I'm just worried. I'm just worried about they don't really have that big set of hands that they can go to, and in those situations, they don't have that Devin Funchess anymore. And that's my main concern with this wide receiver. I don't necessarily think they need a jump ball guy, but I do think this is going to be DJ Moore's breakout season because last season he had 1,175 yards with. Kyle Allen and Will Greer throwing to him. Like, I think that he's going to have a fantastic season. I, I even, I talked about last week how few guys had 1,200 yards. DJ Moore was nearly there. So I'm excited for that. I honestly think that 
they might have needed to give Christian McCaffrey the giant contract that they gave him over the offseason just to get fans to watch this team. He played 93% of their snaps last season, and that includes him only playing 72% in the Week 17. He's definitely going to play less this season because that's just not sustainable. But the rest of this, like the offensive line is a mess. I think Taylor Moten is really the only good player on the line. I was I was going to say the same thing. The I'm looking at their five guys. Taylor Moten is really the only guy that stands out. Christian McCaffrey does a really good job at hiding the line's deficiencies. But I mean, listen to the rest of the, listen to these guys: John Milley, Dennis Daly, Matt Paradis. I've never heard of these guys. I've heard of Paradis when he was on Denver, but this is not a good-looking offensive line. Yeah, Paradis was fantastic at Denver, but the rest and then he, but he slowed down a lot last season when he came over to Carolina. So that's concerning. Yeah, the rest of the line isn't great. They we've talked about this trade before, but they traded a, a really good guard, Trey Turner, to the Chargers for Russell Kung, and Russell Kung is now talking about <laughs> retiring. So we'll see how that works out for them. Hey, that's a that'd be a smart move on Okong's part. Honestly, I yeah, I don't know why I'd want to play for this team. Yeah, but what do you ha- what do you have on this defense? Well, I really like their draft this year. I just want to mention this first. So they they got rid of a lot of guys this offseason. Cornerback James Bradbury, defensive tackle Gerald McCoy. I'll just start reading off some of these guys: Eric Reed, uh, Mario Anderson, Bruce Irvin, Dontari Poe, Vernon Butler. They lost a ton of guys on defense this offseason. And I think they did actually a pretty good job refilling their defense with youth, with youth in this draft. Derek Brown, Yatur Gross Matos, Jeremy Chin, Troy Pride. I thought all four of those were terrific picks. And I'm I'm excited to to see this defense in five years, but for now it's pretty disgusting. Yeah. So every every single pick that they use in this draft was on a defensive player. I don't know what the last time that, that happened. That's pretty interesting. And they used, they had a lot of picks. They just used them all on defensive players. You mentioned that James Bradbury left. He was a pretty good cornerback for them. He was fantastic against, like, I think Mike Evans and, like, mediocre against everybody else. But I'm actually a little concerned that Eric Reed is still unsigned. He's apparently still a free agent, which means that we've already talked about Colin Kaepernick being blackballed out of the league. Eric Reed is also getting blackballed out of the league. He was the first player to kneel with Colin Kaepernick, and he's been very vocal about his beliefs. And I do think that this is affecting him because he was fantastic last season. There's no reason he shouldn't be signed. Anyways, moving on. I, yeah, last season they were 25th in DVOA. I think that Derek Brown is going to help them because they were the worst team against the run last season. So he'll, you know, he'll stuff the inside of that line. But I think that the only the only real NFL starters on this defense are Trey Boston, Kawan Short, and Shaq Thompson. Everybody else <laughs> is just a question mark. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that that's pretty accurate. I don't see anyone else on this defense that that strikes me as starter potential. We've seen Eli Apple in the past do decently, but definitely not very good. Yeah. Uh, Brian Burns has very uh, impressed me last year, but this is this is a weird-looking team. You touched on Burns. I wasn't sure whether I should mark him as an NFL starter just since he only has one season of you know, impact. He actually was fantastic last season. He was our first-round pick. He only played 43% of the defensive snaps, which is why I'm really excited to see what he does this season when he gets to play more. But on 43% of the snaps, he has 7.5 sacks and 14 knockdowns. He was really good. And he was injured for a couple games, I think. So I am looking forward to seeing him. The rest of this team is not anything I really want to expose myself to. Yeah, I, there's not much else to say. Uh, I'm, I'm excited about Gross Matos and Chin and Pride. But their defense is in shambles. It's bad. Yeah. 
Yep, I would agree. They got a bunch of really athletic guys because Derek Brown is extremely athletic, not quite as polished in technique just since he's never had to be. Same with Gross Matos. He's a long, lanky, athletic guy. And so they're just hoping that those guys will pan out, which I think is yeah, a decent strategy. And, and Troy Pride is speed. And that's I really like I really like Troy Pride. He dominated at the senior bowl. He was really good. So, I, yeah, I'm curious to see how good he is. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. You okay, want to hit so, the Bucs? Yeah, sure. So the, the last team in the NFC South are the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Obviously, <laughs> talking about Tampa, there's one guy that we need to talk about who's going to have a huge impact in 2020. Coming from the AFC East, former Super Bowl champion, Mr. TB, Todd Bowles. After failing as the Jets head coach, Todd Bowles landed the defensive coordinator job for the Bucks in 2019. Uh, I'm really excited to see what this defense brings with Todd with Todd Bowles under the helm. He's he's really the the most important TB on this team. Actually, I would agree. I, I, I like in complete honesty, I actually agree. I think that they're going to be the breakout defense of 2020, the same way the 49ers were in 2019, but actually differently because. They were really good last season. They were fifth in defensive DVOA last season, and nobody really realized it because they had a bad start, and then they were incredibly good over the second half. What you really saw was that they allowed teams to score on 40% of their drives, and that was mainly because uh, Jameis Winston threw so many interceptions and turnovers that they had terrible field position all the time. But otherwise, they allowed the fewest yards per carry in the league. They created the fifth most turnovers, and the only reason that didn't help them was because the offense gave up 41 turnovers to the 28 that they created. Yeah, that the, the Buccaneers' um, run stopping was incredible last year. They climbed back to first in the NFL defending the run, only allowing 1,181 yards, while only allowing 11 touchdowns and four runs over 20 yards. Ball carriers gained 3.3 yards per rush with only 20 with 22.6 attempts per game. These are not good numbers. Like this, this says a lot about this Tampa defensive line. Although they did drift back to 30th in passing yards allowed, which is not not ideal, but their defensive line was impressive to say the least last year. The reason for that defense for that defensive line being so good against the run was because Vita Vea, uh, their first round pick from I think two years ago just finally had his breakout year. He was fantastic out of Washington. He just swallowed up rushers. He's super athletic and he actually showed a little bit more pass rushing potential than I expected. And he scored a touchdown last season, which was fun. <laughs> he caught a touchdown, I think against the Falcons, but um, he, and then, Oh, actually I recommend that all of you go and look up Vita Vea's high school highlight tape. He's, he has a running back <laughs> highlight tape and it's hilarious. Well, yeah, it's pretty clear that when you when you got a 300-pound dude on your high school team, you're going to give him the ball at every chance you can. Yeah, he's, he's fast. Anyways, moving along that defensive line, Shaq Barrett was one of the big breakout performers of the 2019 season. He turned in 19.5 sacks on 35 knockdowns, which means that that season wasn't necessarily that out of the ordinary, like Vic Beasley's breakout season with the Falcons a couple years back because Vic Beasley had a very few knockdowns and a ton of sacks. He actually probably earned most of those sacks. You can still expect some regression. I think that this breakout is mostly legit. Yeah, I, I agree. I think he was super underrated last year. 19 and a half sacks is not something to, to look over. And he, he's actually been pretty solid in the run de, in the run defense. People give Vita Vea a lot of the credit and um, and William Golston, and, and I'm not going to try it, Nidama Kungsu, a lot of the credit for their defensive line and their run stopping. But he was actually very good in the run stop. Yeah, no, I think that this defense is going to be 
I mean, if you're looking for a fancy defense that you that other people won't pick super early, absolutely go for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They're going to be really good. On other parts of the defense, Levante David might be the most underrated linebacker of the decade. Uh, he yeah. was drafted in 2012, which is the same year as Luke Keekley and Bobby Wagner, which is part of why he hasn't gotten as much claim because he's been overshadowed by them. But he has more solo tackles, tackles for loss, sacks, forced fumbles, and forced takeaways than either of them. Meanwhile, Levante David only has one Pro Bowl and one All-Pro bid, while Luke Kuechly has seven uh, Pro Bowls and five All-Pros, and Bobby Wagner has six Pro Bowls and five All-Pro bids. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I think that when people look at linebackers, they, they, they focus too much on pressuring the quarterback. They don't realize how important Levante David has been in, the, in tackles. He has over 100 tackles in seven of his eight years in the NFL, including the, the last three seasons. So he's not regressing at all. He's getting better if, if you look at his stats. In 2019, he played well versus a run, but also he played well in the passing and the coverage. He's just overall one of the better at linebackers in the league, and not enough people look at him. Yeah, last season he had the best coverage rate among linebackers, according to PFF. So, he, yeah, he was, he was simply fantastic. Uh, the other linebacker position, they drafted Devin White fifth overall last season. And he showed flashes, but he wasn't consistent. And so they're definitely hoping that he'll take a step forward this season. Yeah, a lot of people are, are high on Devin White after last year, but he just had a couple of good highlights. He, he, he wasn't very consistent last year. Meanwhile, their secondary has three more early picks. They've invested quite a few early picks on their defense in recent years. Jamel Dean was drafted in the third round last season. Sean Murphy Bunting was drafted in the second round last season. And, and then Carlton Davis was drafted in the second round two years ago. They all put up a good season last year, so they were all in PFF's top 50 cornerbacks, which is a good sign. It's not super clear where they're each going to play, like who's going to play in the slot and which ones will be the outside corners, but I think that they're probably likely to have hit on at least two of those three. So that's good news. Yeah, and and also um, their safeties are got a lot better this offseason as they added Antoine Winfield. In my opinion, he was one of the best. He was the best safety in this draft class, and I don't think he deserved to to fall that far. He he'll offer a huge upside in coverage, while um, while being even better on run support. This run defense on Tampa Bay is going to be stifling. No one is going to be able to run against this team. Everyone on this defense is incredible at run defense. Yeah, I know how much you love Anton Antoine Winfield. I hope he'll be good. He's undersized. We talked about this, I think, yeah. a couple weeks ago. And so that's the main concern. I do like him, though. My biggest problem with this Tampa Bay Buccaneers defense is that they cut MJ Stewart, uh, who's their second, who's a second-round cornerback, I think, from two years ago. This was he was going into his third season. It has nothing to do with his performance. He was terrible for them. He wasn't actually any good. But he came out of Arlington, Virginia. He is one of the best football players that Arlington, Virginia has had in recent years. And our hometown needs representation. And we just lost that by cutting him. Hey, he's only 24. He, he, he still has a future in the NFL. I think he's on the, the Browns, though, now. Is he? Okay. They, they cut him when I, started taking, when I started doing my notes for this. They cut him in this past week. Yeah, Yorktown High School alumni, MJ Stewart. Yep. I mean, I hate Yorktown, but I do like Arlington. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> okay. Let, let's move on to the offense. We need to talk about the other TV on this team, Tom Brady. What do you, what do you think about him on the Buccaneers this season, Adam? Yeah, in reality, the, the bit, probably the bigger news coming into Tampa Bay this year was Tom Brady. He's coming to Tampa to try and get the Bucks back to the playoffs for the first time since 2007 or something ridiculous. 
Okay, uh, this this might come as an un- unpopular opinion, and I'm saying this 100% knowing that I'm going to regret it, but I think Tom Brady is done. I mean, he's 43 years old. How much longer can he go? And although he wasn't a bad quarterback last year, he, was, he definitely started to regress. It was visible in the pocket movement and his accuracy that he's not the same Brady that he used to be. He averaged his lowest yards per attempt since 2002, the last full season in which he threw 24 touchdowns with 2006. His passer rating has declined in each of the last three seasons. Sure, his supporting cast is a lot better now with Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, and he still has Gronk. But I think we've seen all that Brady has to offer. Interesting. I don't think that he's done. I mean, I don't think anybody's arguing that he's the same quarterback he was before. I, I don't think he's done. I don't think that he's the same quarterback. I think he's, at this point, like a middle-of-the-pack quarterback. I don't think he's that, I don't think he's that much worse than middle of the pack but this he has such great weapons as you mentioned and he hasn't had them in years that I think that you could that the offense will still be really good last season they were 22nd in DVOA uh, 18th in passing 26th in rushing and a huge part of that was mostly just because they turned the ball over so many times I do think that we can expect a slow start from Tom Brady because he and Ari, Bruce Arians are going to need to adjust to each other and they won't have a training camp to do so so I don't think that they're going to get off to a super hot start but I do think that they're going to get better as the season goes on yeah, I'm I'm a little bit worried about um, his left tackle, though. Donovan Smith, his blindside tackle, is a liability in run blocking. And I don't know if he'll be able to hold up against the Saints and the Panthers' defensive rushes. But I could see this offensive line, besides Donovan Smith and maybe Alex Kappa being pretty good. Ali Marpet, Ryan Jensen, and Tristan Wirfs are all solid pieces. And I think they'll all improve now that Jameis Winston, who is gone because he, he sometimes can take a little while to get the ball out. But I, I'm, I'm not too sure about that blindside tackle. Yeah, before I talk about the offensive line, and I will in a sec, I just want to say one more thing about Tom Brady. So this is a cool thing I found on Twitter. Sam Hoppin made a graph that showed how close to the first down marker teams threw on each down. Last season, the Bucks were the only team to throw beyond the first down marker on first down on average. <laughs> Which is pretty cool. It just shows that, like, how aggressive Jameis Winston was. Meanwhile, New England threw short of the sticks on first down, second down, and nearly on third down. So I think that part of that is personnel and the game plan because, you know, the Patriots like throwing short to their running backs and stuff like that. But I think some of it also has to be on Brady. What's interesting is that the other teams that threw short of the, short of the first down marker on first, second, and third down were teams that you would sort of expect. One of them was New Orleans, which because yeah. Drew Brees and Teddy Bridgewater throw it short. Then the other ones were Pittsburgh, Washington, Indianapolis, and Denver, all teams with bad quarterbacks. And I'm not saying Tom Brady's bad. I'm not even saying that Drew Brees is bad because of this. It just, it just shows you that those teams weren't willing to risk it with those guys. They were throwing it a lot shorter and a lot safer passes. Yeah, and, and Tom Brady's always done that. He's always taken the check down. He's a yeah. safe quarterback. It's just I don't know how, how much longer he can go. This is my, just my, my hot take. I think this is he's done. Well, so I just don't know how he fits into this Bruce Arians offense yeah. is my question. Because the thing is that Bruce Arians' offenses have always been built around throwing the ball downfield, a lot of vertical attack. And I don't really know how like how much he'll be willing to throw it deep. We'll find out about that as the season goes on. I don't think that we can make any bold presumptions after week one or two. Yeah, and I think this is a big year for Tom Brady. He has to prove that he's not a system quarterback. This is his first year without Daddy Belichick to, to tell him what to do. So, so it'll be interesting how he fits into this offense. Yep, I think that's about right. The other guy they brought in this offseason is Rob Gronkowski coming out of retirement. I 
honestly don't think it's a big deal. The last three seasons, Gronk has started six games, 14 games, and 11 games. And he has to put all the football weight back on, which is like 50 pounds. And that's a pain. I don't even know if he'll get all the way back up there. So I think that we'll see him on the field, like nearly exclusively on third downs and in the red zone, because Brady is going to want someone he can trust. Otherwise, I think he might be the third best tight end on this team, maybe second best. Yeah, I think people are definitely overrating Rob Gronkowski. I even saw somewhere people ranking him in the top five tight ends this year. That's ridiculous. You, How can you say that about someone who hasn't played a snap in forever? I don't think that Rob Gronkowski is going to live up to this hype. Yeah, just a tip for all you fantasy players. Somebody's going to be the person to draft Gronk in like the seventh round or the eighth round. Don't be that person. So yeah. he might even provide decent value if you draft him in like the 10th or 11th round because he might catch a bunch of touchdowns. Don't draft him too high because somebody in your league is going to decide that he really likes and, him. Just gonna and there are better options than Gronk. Exactly. There are better options. Guys like Jack Doyle. And another reason to be concerned about Gronk and how much he's actually going to do is because Bruce Arians' offenses have never used the tight end consistently. You saw that with O.J. Yeah. Howard. O.J. Howard like nearly got cut or traded because he was used so little last off. And last I can't season. even name one of the Cardinals' tight ends from that time. Yeah, no, me neither. So you see, Bruce Arians' offenses don't use the tight end. And I think Brady, he'll, he'll use it a little bit more this season because Brady really likes it. But I don't think that you can expect him to get nearly, like any of the tight ends to get nearly as much as Brady, as much as they would have if they were in New England. Yeah. The final part of this team, that, uh, this offense I want to talk about was the running back position. Mostly because there's three different options, maybe even four. And they're, none of them are all that great. Who do you think is going to end up as the starter this season, Adam? I mean, I'm a little bit biased because I like this guy, but I, I'm going to say Keyshawn Vaughn. They picked Keyshawn Vaughn in the third round. He, he'll hold break tackles with enough vision and quickness to, to make plays on the outside. He's extremely powerful. He'll run with patience. It's just I think he's a, the most complete back. I think some of the other guys have better individual qualities, but I think Vaughn is the most complete out of the guys. I think you're right. I think that Vaughn is the best running back. My concern is that we don't know if he can pass block well enough. And I think that whoever gets the most snaps at running back is going to be the guy who can pass block the best. And LaShawn McCoy is washed. I don't even see the point in signing him. He's just washed. <laughs> Ronald Jones can't catch. Although he did get more targets uh, over the course of the season last year. From week nine on, he averaged 3.6 targets per game. And then Darrow Gumbawale is simply a pass catcher. So I think that it basically comes down to who's able to pass block for Brady. And I don't know if Keyshawn Vaughn can do it. If he can, I think he could be really productive this season. And they also have Raymond Calais on their on their running back core. And he was really yeah. good in Louisiana. I know nothing I know nothing about Calais, but that makes sense. Yeah. I, I actually have him above Dare Ogumboale. Uh, well, Ogumboale is gonna be a third down back. He he yeah. he's gonna be catching passes, he won't be playing builder downs. Okay, that's it. Let's move into records. So I think that it's pretty obvious which team is going to be the worst team in this division. But, yeah. Adam, what do you think their record is going to be? So the question about is not going to be if the Panthers are going to be bad. It's going to be how bad. And I think that they're going to be 5-11 and 11 or 6-10. and 10. I like Teddy Bridgewater, but the rest of the team, besides Christian McCaffrey, just isn't up to par. That defense is really bad. So I have them at 5-11, 6-10. Yeah, before I actually really looked into the depth charts before this week, I was thinking that this team is maybe a six or seven win team. I think that they're closer to a four or five win team. I think that they could pretty easily go four and 12, especially with the teams that they're going to need to play. Okay, who do you have as your second worst team? 
third, I think it's pretty easy. It's pretty obviously the Falcons. My question is how bad how bad are they going to be? I thought they, I thought there's a chance I might even have them fourth, just since I'm not looking forward to seeing this Falcons defense. I don't think that they're going to be able to stop people enough for this offense to win them games. But I see them as a six and ten or seven and nineteen. Okay, I actually have the Buccaneers the second worst because Ooh. I'm biased. Um, okay, that's fair. But but I still have them at nine and seven. I, I they're not going to be a bad team. It's just I don't think Tom Brady has another incredible season left in him. Wait, you think that the Falcons are going to go better than nine and seven? Sorry, sorry, eight and eight. Sorry, eight and eight. And I have the Falcons oh. at nine and seven. Wow. Okay. Yeah. No. So I have the Falcons. I'm going to say seven and nine because they're going to do that thing where they start out terrible and, every, and Dan Quinn get, I think oh this time Dan Quinn, will, I think Dan Quinn will actually get fired this time because he's gotten too many chances. He's going to Dan start out terrible. Quinn, if you want to commit to tanking, commit to tanking. Don't, don't eliminate yourself from the playoff and then win the rest of the game. That's no and that's fun. Exa- that's exactly what he's going to do. And they're going to end up with like the 13th overall pick. Uh... Anyways, I have the Buccaneers second. I think that they're going to definitely get – I think that they'll almost definitely get a wild card slot, and I think they can make a lot of noise in the playoffs if their team gels correctly. So I'm going to say that they're going to be 9-7 and seven or 10-6. and six. I'm going to go with 10-6 and because I really think they're going to get a lot better over the course of the season. Okay, and then last but not least, we got the New Orleans Saints, who are quite clearly far and away the best team in this, in this division, and in my opinion, in the NFC. I have them going 13-3. and three. Yeah, thirteen and three is exactly what I was thinking. Um, yeah. I think it's hard to predict any team to do better than thirteen and three uh, just because of pure variance and luck. But I think that yeah, and I think that Jameis Winston will come in at the end of the season and lose a couple games. Yeah, I do think that Drew Brees is gonna—they're gonna sit him for a couple games. I don't know how that's gonna work out. And I—I I, I don't—I'm not as big on Jameis Winston as you are. Yeah, yeah, I just like guys who are willing to huck it. <laughs> okay. That's it for this week's episode of Tackling the NFL. We will be back next week with the AFC East. So this is my home division. We've got the Dolphins there, and we will be bringing in a special guest next week. So tune in.